0: This morning, the UK farming success story heading for New Zealand.
1: We're really proud to be a really strong British manufacturer and kind of flying the flag for British manufacturing, doing so well across the world.
0: More from Sumo UK later. Also, the intelligent dryer, perhaps needed if the current weather continues through the year. And we meet the NFU's new-ish chief
2: advisor for combinable crops. We've got the right climate, we've got the right soils, we've got the right expertise to grow crops.
3: The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Good morning. Think back a week. Last Sunday, of course, was Mothering Sunday and uh, Mother Nature has certainly been making herself known again over recent weeks, hasn't she, with further snow and ice this weekend. As someone said the other day, it's only rained once since last October. It just hasn't stopped since it started, except when it turned to snow. The fields are very wet, many underwater, making life difficult. We'll hear from Sean Sparling on it in a moment. Of course, for some, there are positives. Every cloud, literally. Uh, Let's take our old friends at JRH Water, for example. Michael Jordan, it's not all bad news, is it? There are positives.
4: Oh, yeah. Um, Obviously, now, with the amount of rain we had, um, if you are looking at collecting water or are collecting water... Um, especially if it's rainwater harvesting, or if you're pumping from a stream, or even a borehole, because it's going to end up in there, um, you're getting replenished um, really well um, because the water's got to go somewhere. So you might as well collect it.
0: And as you said, uh, you know, we've spoken many times before. It, it's free, isn't it? This is this is a free resource that we can use on our farms.
4: Yeah, exactly. It falls from, falls from the sky or comes up from the ground, and um, it's it's free water. So um, you're not paying your water bills or your water rates, whatever um, you're on. Um, So, you know, with the way the weather's been at the moment, even though it has been bad, um, people that I think are actually sat there now smiling away because uh, they've probably quadrupled the amount of water that they can actually collect, all for free.
0: It has been very wet so far, hasn't it, uh, this year? I mean, I've been surprised looking at some of the fields. Uh, I mean, what have you made of it?
4: It is bad, but... In one way, it is replenishing our natural resource of water. I think there's always a chance, you know, that I I think these things happen for a reason. I think that in some cases, some areas in the country, you know, water has been probably drawn on a bit too much. Um, So I think this is Mother Nature's way of uh, giving us a resource back.
0: Indeed, maybe so. I know when we spoke, um, what last December? Now, I guess it will be at the Midlands Machinery Show. You know, you were talking about you've been talking with the um, DEFRA about various environmental schemes. Michael Gove at a number of speeches this year has been talking about the environment very much as well. How are your talks going? How are your conversations with DEFRA?
4: Um, w- we're still having them. Um, it's, um, it's a little bit, I think they are very slowly but surely starting to see the point that is coming across, that this is um, an important resource, um, probably one of the most important resources for well life itself, um, and I think farms are embracing it. Um, and my personal view is, um, obviously coming from my background, is I think the government and DEFRA are probably not doing as much as they should to make farms sustainable and give them that sort of natural resource and future-proofing, really, with... With water, because I think if nothing's done now, um, things are not looking good in terms of water because it's going to be the farmers that get hit first. And there's only more people coming into the country um, in terms of, you know, births and everything like that. Our population is getting bigger. Um, Water's got to go to humans. So it's a known fact that farmers are going to be the first ones to get hit. Um, So if they're already... Collecting their natural resource and using it, I don't think they're going to see any problems.
0: But of course, we need water, don't we? You can't, we, we we can't grow crops, we can't feed the country without water. It's a key key element that is sometimes forgotten.
4: Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's the lifeblood of nature, which is what Leonardo da Vinci said, which I love saying because it is. You know, everything is water. You know, to make stuff, to survive, everything. Um, you know, we can live without, but we can. We can live without vehicles, we can live without certain things, but if you take water away, uh, things won't last very long.
0: Wise words. Michael Jordan there from JRH Water. And if you want to uh, meet Michael and speak some more with the JRH Water team, they've got a Lynx Agri Solutions breakfast taking place this Tuesday. It's at the Market Raisin and Louth Rugby Club. That's in Market Raisin, half past 7 In the morning, breakfast is provided as well. You'll find all the details that you need online. And as I say, JRH Water among those that will be in attendance. Right, let's get an update now from our agronomist, Sean Sparling, then,
5: shall we? Morning, Sean. Well, yes, morning, Sean. Just for a change, I'm not going to talk about the weather first off. I'm going to do the agronomy first off. Um, Right, it is complicated out there at the moment. Nothing really has altered since last week in terms of disease levels, although the light leaf spot is most definitely on the move in oilseed rape. Um, the Don't Forget the Spot Check initiative is still underway. Google it or go to my Twitter feed at SAS Agronomy um, or just pop those leaves in a polythene bag and stick them in the airing cupboard for 24, 48 hours and see if it is light leaf spot. If it is light leaf spot and it is moving and you're starting to see increases out there, then you need to get a suitable fungicide on. Um, tebiconazole Prothiconazole, very good at doing that. Uh, but you only get protection so you're protecting the new growth uh, and that's all you can ever hope to do. Now the other thing which has changed in oilseed rate is the fact that it is most certainly growing. Um, Walking fields Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week, it's very easy to see the buds uh, as you look down into the crop. Uh, So you need to be very conscious of that, particularly if you're putting things like fox on. Once you can see the buds you're too late for Fox. Um, and once the crop starts to move and those buds start to lift clear of the canopy you are way too late for the likes of clopyrrolid and picloram so if you have cleavers to deal with sow thistles, thistles, groundsel, mayweed out there in the fields of rape that you know are in sufficient quantities as to potentially cause you problems then you need to be on with those sooner rather than later now I'm very conscious of how wet it is out there your nitrogen sulphur takes priority of course it does because that sulphur takes four weeks to get in into the plant but if the crop is growing quickly and you need to control cleavers, thistles, mayweeds, etc then you may need to just have a real think about how quickly you follow that fertiliser in the field because things are most definitely moving. Winter wheat, winter barley, very little change really the septoria is still there in the wheat, the rust still there in the wheat, the stem-based browning is still there in the wheat. Um, There's nothing really we can do and no wheels have been turned this last seven days on drilling any of the spring crops, whether that be cereals, pulses, sugar beat or otherwise so let's move on to the weather then it's been another week of weather I've taken uh, an inch and a half of rain uh, 38 mils of rain in the last 10 days and it has added to what is already a very very significantly wet picture in these fields now what that does in terms of complication is it is making for a very very delayed spring and I think it's too early to panic yet Because we are still in the middle of March. When I was at college all those years ago, um, it was always said that you drilled sugar beet in the first week of April. That still stands. I don't think anything's changed on that. And to be blunt, I think it's likely to be the first week of April before we see an awful lot of sugar beet going on any land with anything like body in it. Spring cereals, there's still plenty of time for that as well. Some of my best yields of spring barley have come from drillings done in the first week of April. Now it starts to get a little bit uh, complicated, it gets untidy, it gets very very stressful um, because there's going to be an awful lot of work to do once it does dry up and the implications of standing water on fields, not only is it a a non-compliance in those ridiculous rules to go driving through standing water in a field, we can't do anything because the soil is in such a wet condition we can't physically create a seedbed Um, so not only does it cause those complications but it's going to take 10 days I would say, for a lot of these fields to get into a dry enough condition for us to get out there and do any spring work. Now that is very concerning. I think in the 29 years I've been doing this job, this is as late a start to spring work as I have ever known. I've never gone into March without spring barley up in rows and being treated. I'm now in the middle of March and I have no spring barley up in rows. So we've got the spring beans, the peas, the sugar beet, the linseed, the spring wheat, the spring barley the potatoes, all of those things are going to need to be A drilled, B pre-em sprayed because if you're putting spring wheat, spring barley into land which has got a blackgrass issue you need to get a pre-em on. Sugar beet, pre-ems may be a very good thing this year. The, the only good thing is that we're going to get an opportunity to use some glyphosate before we go out there and start drilling and spring cultivation work. So it is incredibly complicated um, I'm sat here this morning it's Friday morning I'm on top of the world. it's pea soup fog and it's blowing a gale of about 25 miles an hour so quite extraordinary weather conditions whether or not we get more snow this weekend is irrelevant because when we get one or two millimeters of rain we may as well get an inch of rain for how wet these fields remain so um, I think there is um, there's plenty of time for us yet not to have to panic the last year we were in a similar situation was 2011 spring i can remember fields half drilled with peas because they were far too wet for us to get in it then came incredibly hot and dry and 2011 was a very very good harvest so i do think middle of march it's too early to be panicking But be very, very conscious that planning is going to be the key to success, I think, this spring.
0: Uh, Planning is the key. Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Now, if harvest was to be this wet, you might be thinking about your drying facilities. There are many companies out there offering solutions. JWI grain dryers say they have something a little different. An intelligent grain dryer. So Matt Woodhead, how
6: does it work? Well the intelligent dryer control in its most basic idea I suppose is to control the dryer as an operator might but without the need for the operator to be there uh, as often and at the same time it can dry it more accurately than a human operator can do. Because it can dry more accurately it won't overdry the product like a human might. And there's huge potential savings in terms of weight loss uh, in overdrying and the extra cost of uh, energy input into, in overdrying. And we so, know
0: money's important in agriculture, isn't it? Every, saving every pound that we can
6: is very important, isn't it? It most so. certainly is. Uh, and of course, um, it, it's almost a, an instant payback from the, the, the first time you fire it up with the intelligent dryer control you already saving money. So how you know. does it work? In simple terms, layman terms, it samples the moisture of the grain coming into the top of the dryer, does the same at the bottom of the dryer which it's going out, and then it calculates what speed it needs to do to achieve a target moisture content. Um, so what it can do that a human can't do is make hundreds of adjustments um, all the time continually um, to, to achieve the best possible speed of throughput through the dryer to get the moisture content to where you want it to be, uh, which a human cannot do, it, you would have to make a change with a couple of hours to see the result of that change before you dare take another change. And the system is also intelligent in the sense that it's learning all the time. And I guess it's something in agriculture you've been looking for for a while,
0: I would yeah. imagine, because as you yeah. know. Yeah.
6: Yeah, I, I, yes, it, it is essentially the, the holy grail of grain drying, um, effectively. Um, people have wanted it for a long time. There's been um, similar systems trying to achieve this historically with air off moisture and that type of thing, which can work well. Um, but, but this system sort of truly is a moisture control system. Uh, and like I say, it is intelligent. So, Matt Woodhead there of JWI.
0: The NFU has a new-ish chief advisor for combinable crops. He started a couple of months ago now, and having settled in, we sent in our attack dog, Andrew Ward, uh, to find out just how Jack Watts is getting on.
7: Uh, Jack, you obviously haven't been in your role uh, many, many weeks, a lot
2: different to the role you've previously held at AHDB vastly different enjoying it? Uh, yeah really enjoying it. Uh, first six weeks have gone really really quickly um, and yeah, really enjoying the broad remit of that helping members with um, challenges on countryside stewardship right through to working with the supply chain and getting in so, starting to get in some of the detail around Brexit and how members and the NFU's position and getting in some of the detail that are really important for, for the corrupt sector. Right so that's mainly your role is it looking at that then because it's quite a broad broad spectrum. Yeah it's a really yeah it is a broad it is a broad spectrum but it's fair to say that there's a huge bank of specialists within um, mm. NFU as well, which are really, really critical to the delivery of those really detailed areas. So I get the pleasure of working across a lot of diverse areas, but then a huge support of the detailed specialists as well. Uh, one, one particular point you've just put up on your presentation, mm. I thought, really
7: hits home with me, is for every acre. Uh, we don't grow in the UK yeah. of, of wheat. Two and a half acres have to be grown in the rest of the world to compensate. I mean, that's a phenomenal figure, isn't it? It just shows how important we are, and and it just shows the value of our land
2: and how good you know some farmers are at, at producing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got the right climate, we've got the right soils, we've got the right expertise um, to grow crops. You know, the vast majority of production around the world is limited by water. You know. Clearly, some years we have more water than we need to grow to grow crops, um, but we can only really do that when we've got access to the tools in terms of plant health tools to do that. So that's really important that we champion that. But no, the UK is... Has got high high wheat yields, and that's really important—not just for UK consumers, but for the global functioning of the market as well. You
7: mentioned water; just straight away comes to my mind, and I know I've heard one or two people talking about this. Um, obviously, with, with GM, there's lots of ways of looking at GM and and, and uh, sort of breeding in that way. Mm. And it's not all uh, chemical tolerant. Mm. Uh, you know, what what was your thoughts on on building drought resistance and drought tolerance, and not resistant but drought tolerance into yeah, crops?
2: Um, would it be useful? Yes, I think it, it would be useful. I think we can look at all kinds. Of techniques and doing that in terms of new breeding techniques, which aren't necessarily GM, yeah. are a way of exploring um, doing that. So, and I think that's a really exciting area for, for the industry to, to, to look at. But it's important that we sort of take the consumer with us as well so that, that there's an understanding and there's an understanding of policy makers how these new tools should be regulated in a, in a pragmatic way. I
7: think. And another one of your slides, you mentioned about transparency as mm-hmm. well. You know, and that, that's a huge thing at the moment, isn't it? And, and, and uh, transparency and also we're looking at uh, at the grain markets and and, uh, the whole thing now is very, very difficult to judge, isn't it, and gauge?
2: It is, yeah, and I put that down to the rise of certainly Russia in terms of um, a huge player and growing player in global wheat production and exports and the role that China's playing in, in in hoarding a huge proportion of the global wheat stocks as well both countries have challenges in terms of being transparent with what's happening in their markets just the nature of of what they are and that reducing role that North America has particularly the United States in, in the wheat market and we've traditionally been used to the US being a real source of information a really open marketplace in terms of the crop in terms of export progress and we're losing that transparency over time
7: yeah that's right and i think selling grain is becoming an even more difficult job isn't it all the time and engaging the markets and actually trying to cover uh, yourself and for every eventuality and i think it's maybe one area that the farmer really we all need to brush up on and get better at
4: yeah i
2: think yeah i think it needs to be looked at in two ways one is providing the right cash flow profile that the business needs but then looking at Longer term, from profitability point of view, uh, and ensuring the business has got sight of long term profitability over multiple years, and looking at that perspective um, as well.
0: Jack Watts, the NFU's chief advisor for combinable crops, chatting with Andrew Ward. We'll hear from Sumo in a moment. First, the latest from Open Field, and it's Rebecca Pierce this week.
3: Morning, Sean. The UK wheat market continues to find support at the moment. Old crop wheat futures hit contract highs this week and the market remains focused on fulfilling domestic demand, with those closest to that northern demand achieving the highest values at the farm gate. In some areas, feed wheat values are north of £150 a term. Feed wheat availability in the UK seems tight and as a result the milling wheat premiums have come under further pressure. We're in a long of milling wheat, short of feed wheat situation and unless farmers are confident of achieving full specification milling wheat it's extremely difficult to justify selling as anything other than feed. Looking ahead to new crop wheat markets and values remain attractive. However, with continued dry conditions in the main wheat-growing states in America, along with weather delays in the UK leaving winter wheat crops looking in need of some serious nitrogen, new crop markets could see further support if any revisions down are made to yield forecasts for this coming harvest. Keep in touch with your local Openfield Farm Business Manager for opportunities. Feed barley remains a strong trade at the moment. There definitely seems to be a lack of old crop feed barley about, which is helping to underpin values. Delays in spring drilling due to the recent weather should help support new crop levels and early indications on spring barley values for autumn collection are circa £150 a ton. A fortnight ago, old crop Mayteeth oilseed rate futures hit contract highs. But a raft of farmers selling at these levels has seen values drift to around £285 a tonne ex-farm in the spot market. There's definitely a resilience to sell at the farm gate now values have slipped. But with the crush not seeming to have much forward cover, we could see some support going forward. However, values may be capped by record soybean harvest coming out of Brazil. Whilst oil crop gains may be capped by a record soybean harvest in Brazil, there's a question mark over the size of the Argentinian soybean crop, and further revisions to this number could well add support to domestic oilseed rate prices. With another cold snap forecast across the UK and Europe this week, there is a real threat of winter kill amongst oilseed rape crops currently in the ground. Europe's top growing regions, France, Germany and Poland, have already witnessed damage over the last few weeks and with further colder temperatures forecast, it could help underpin new crop oilseed rape prices, which have eased in recent weeks and are currently trading around £280 a tonne off combine. Let's get a roundup of those prices for you now. Feed wheat is currently trading at 145 to 150 pounds a ton, dependent on area, with new crop November 18 values around 142 to 147 pounds a ton. X Farm with a pound per ton per month carry. Milling wheat premiums are struggling, and a circa five to seven pounds a ton. Feed barley remains a strong trade. Old crop values remain around 136 to 140 pounds a tonne with November 18 trading at 128 to 135 pounds a tonne. Oil seed rate values are around 285 to 287 pounds a tonne spot with new crop harvest levels around 280 pounds a tonne with a nice carry through to November 18 trading at 287 to 290 pounds a tonne.
0: Thank you Rebecca Pierce Open Field now, you've probably seen the name Sumo, certainly at events such as cereals, various agricultural shows and the like. But soon, if you're in New Zealand, you could also be seeing the brand down there. Uh, Charlotte Curtin is from Sumo UK.
1: Sumo, obviously, been around since about ni- the 1990s, early 1990s. Um, it was founded by a farmer. And um, in 2015, we joined the Elsham World Group alongside Piper's Crisps and Lincoln and York, a coffee manufacturer. Uh, the owners of, of the group are farmers, and so along with them and their investments, Sumo's going from strength to strength, really. Um, we've had a lot of product development recently. We've got a new machine called the Vaxio, which is out for autumn this year. Um, it's a shallow cultivator that we're looking to compete against the Porsche joker uh, top-down from Vardastad. Um, so that's going out for testing now, um, and we've had a lot of interest in that, which is good. The Sumo Trio is still doing, as, still as popular as ever. I think that it's the market will be saturated, but that's still incredibly popular. Um, and the drill market we're doing particularly well in as well. Our DTS is very popular, particularly the 6 metre. Um, and we've had a lot of success export-wise last year and this year. We're now exporting to 15 or more countries. Um, a lot of positivity in Europe. Um, and recently we've expanded in New Zealand as well. Um but this year we've we're at the moment renewing our focus on the uk and the, and the uk market we've got going to be doing a lot more demonstrations and dealer contact and events this year. So
0: So we're going to be seeing a lot more of Sumo this year, right? Yes,
1: definitely a lot more from Sumo. Um, Feeling really positive about the future now. So
0: it's a a real success story as you say, isn't it really? I mean it's you know it's as you say starting off with that farmer background and how it's now developed, it really is a local success story for us. Yeah
1: it it? is. We're really proud to be a really strong British manufacturer and kind of flying the flag for British manufacturing, uh, doing so well across the world. our products are known for being strong and sturdy and reliable so um yeah we're, we're really proud of where we are at the moment and our engineers are fantastic our production facilities we've get investing in new machinery uh, new technology so um yeah really proud where well, we again, are
0: can't stand still can you in this industry no
1: definitely not trying to keep up uh, all the time but um we've got a really passionate teams so
0: and New Zealand. I mean, that must be really, you know, really good to be out, to be able to be out in New Zealand. But as you say, still really focusing on the UK.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's good. We're we're, we're covering all bases, really. Um, the the cultivation side of things is really taking off in New Zealand. Um, and one of our engineers is actually going out there for for a few weeks to do a bit of market research, touch base with the dealers out there, because we're trying to make sure that we give everybody um, some face to face contact. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really exciting times.
0: So we talk a lot about uncertain times, but actually, you know, we can never be certain within the industry, but things it seems to be going well here.
1: Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, within the industry, but actually, as a company, we're feeling very positive. Um, we've had, uh, last year was probably our best year of sales for, for a long time. Our order book's full now. Production facilities running smoothly throughout winter, building stock. And um, yeah, so as far as Sumo is concerned, things are, things are going very well at the moment.
0: I love hearing when things are going well. Going well certainly at Sumo UK, thanks to Charlotte Curtin. Are things going well weather-wise? <laughs> Not so certain. <laughs> the beast from the east too? Well, let's take a look at the coming week, shall we? The Farming
3: Programme. Five-day forecast.
0: Well, it's certainly going to stay a very cold and breezy Sunday. The wind from the east north 20 gusting at 35 miles an hour, temperatures just above freezing if you're lucky. Overnight tonight, temperatures again around freezing point, that wind continuing from the east-northeast, and then it warms up tomorrow. We're looking at highs of five Celsius, possibility of some sunshine, but still fairly overcast. The wind from the northeast uh, between 20 and 25 miles an hour. Overnight Monday into Tuesday, much of the same really. That uh, overcast uh, cloud, we're looking at temperatures nearer 1 Celsius, just a bit of freezing. The wind blowing more from the north at 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then Tuesday, possibility of a few showers. Temperatures rising though, 7 the high for Tuesday. The wind continuing from the north at about 15 miles an hour. Possibility of a frost again first thing on Wednesday. Temperatures may be falling below freezing for a time. The wind, more from the west at 10 miles an hour. And then through Wednesday itself, warming up once again. Maybe a shower, certainly cloudy. We're looking at highs of around 8 Celsius. That wind, as I say, continuing from the west. 15, maybe gusting at 30 miles an hour by the end of the day. And then the latter end of the week, well, it should get a little bit warmer. We might see temperatures up to uh, double figures. It's possible, we'll see, temperatures maybe at 10 or 11 Celsius, overnight lows varying really between 3 and 6 degrees. And that's the forecast. Uh, You might remember we featured Louth Livestock Markets on the programme through much of last year with those doubts over its future, doubts that have now since settled, thankfully. Well, tomorrow they're getting a royal visit. Prince Charles will be there, and so will I. Hear what His Royal Highness has to say on the programme next week. Until then, have a good week.